this week's parsha, Parshas Yisrael, we have Yisrael, the father-in-law of Meshur Rabbeinu, comes after Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and uh, according to some, after Matan Torah, and he starts seeing, he's observing the system, the judicial system that was set up for Klai Yisrael. Basically, the judicial system was just Meshur Rabbeinu. He was the only Paisik, he was the only Shaifid, and he was sitting here, and the entire nation was lined up for miles to get a psak from him, or to get him to adjudicate a dintaira between two people. And Yisra'i, as an outside observer, was able to see things uh, out of the box a little bit, and he says to his son-in-law that this can't go on, this is not acceptable. Novel Tibal, you're going to get worn out Klai Yisrael is going to get worn out. It's not a, this is not a way to do things. You have to figure out a much better system of making sure that people get the proper attention to Din. And so he suggests and he offers to Meish Rabbeinu to set up a system, a hierarchical system of judicial, um, judicial oversight that you have Meish Rabbeinu on top, like the Supreme Court, Everything difficult that can't be solved by the lower judges will be brought to him. But underneath you, you should have sorry, I love him, sorry, mayis. And then he also uh, describes the caliber of people that should be sought out to fill the roles as, of judges. And he says that there should be people that are ansheichayel, people that are. Um, that are people of valor, people that are strong, we'll see what that means soon, and people that are sine botza, that they hate money, they don't want to take bribes, and, uh, and then there are a few other, Yerali Kim, they are, should be God-fearing people, Anshe Emes, they should be people that are men of truth, sine botza, like we said, that they do not like uh, money, they don't have a, an appetite for money, and this is what was suggested to Meshra Rabbeinu, and Meshra Rabbeinu accepts his proposal, and he says, you're 100% right, and he, the Rabbeinu Shalom approved this plan, and this is what was actually, uh, this is what was actually uh, carried out. I want to tell you a story, and then we'll get back to this, that in the city of Vilna, the chazan of the city became ill. And it was very bad timing. It was right before Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, which is when you need a chazan. And they had to appoint very quickly a substitute chazan. And there was two candidates for the job. One candidate was a very big Talmud Chacham. And he had all of the, uh, the extra things that the Ramah describes in our Chaim Tafkov Pe'alif when he tells you the milas that are needed from a chazan, that he's a gadol batayra, he has maisim taivim, he was over 30 years old, he was married, he had kids, there are a whole list of things that you're supposed to be looking for, has a beard, a lot of things that are necessary criteria that you should be looking for when you have uh, a search committee out to, assign, to, to appoint a, a chazan. So one of the candidates had all of that. There was one problem. He was missing one of the things on the Ramah's list. 
that the Ramah says he has to have kailai arev, he has to have a nice, sweet voice. Unfortunately, he was a big Talmud Chacham, but his voice was a little gravelly. His voice wasn't very sweet, it wasn't very melodic, it wasn't very beautiful. It was a voice, but it wasn't like a, a, a wonderful Chazanisha voice. But he had every other box checked on the list of the Ramah. The other candidate was somebody who had really very few of the boxes checked. Maybe he was younger than 30, maybe he wasn't married, maybe he didn't have kids, maybe he, didn't, he wasn't the biggest Yerush Hamayim. But one thing he did have was he had a beautiful, beautiful voice. He had like a, a voice like an angel. And it came down to these two candidates in the city of Vilna, who, which was a prominent shtalo, was a prominent, it was the Yerushalayim Delita, they used to call Vilna. Vilna was the capital city of, of the whole Judaism in Europe. It was called the Jerusalem of Europe, of Lithuania. And this is where the Vilna Gain was. This is, they had a great synagogue in Vilna. They had many shuls in Vilna. But this is a very, if you were a chazan in Vilna, that means that you made it. This was like the pinnacle of your, of your career. So who would get the job? So they basically decided to give it to the first one. They gave it to the Talmud Chacham. He had a nice long beard. He was married. He had children. He had like a real, you know, he had all the hidurim. And they, he didn't have a beautiful voice, but that's who they gave it to. And they sent the other guy a letter. Thank you, but no thank you. You have a beautiful voice, but it's not enough. We want to be Mekayim as many of the things of the Ramah as we could. When Rechayim Brisker heard about this, this is what I saw in a sefer called Kav Vinaki on page Shin Samachvav. When Rebchaim Brisker heard about this psaki, he says, they didn't ask me. They didn't consult with me about what they should do. But had they asked me, I would have said differently. I would have ruled differently. I would have told them to hire the other chazan that had a beautiful voice, even though he didn't have a lot of the other things that the Ramah asks to have on his list. Why? So Reb Chaim says, because a chazan, by definition, when you boil it all down, what is a chazan? A chazan is somebody that has a beautiful voice. His job is to represent his tzibor in the most beautiful way possible, to inspire them through his words, through his songs, through his melodies, through his... His whole davening is supposed to uplift the tzibor. That's the main point of a chazan. That's the ikr. The main part of a chazan, what defines a chazan, is the fact that he has a beautiful voice. And that's the first thing on the Ramah's list, by the way. Now, the other things that the Ramah says a chazan should have, that's not a definition of a chazan. That's if you can get a chazan with a beautiful voice, plus he has Yerushamayim, plus he has, uh, he has pure kainai, he has a good reputation, and he has, he's married, he has a beard, he has a, he's, went, he's gone through tough times in life, and he's gone through it and survived it with Amuna. So that's, those are wonderful extra additives to, the, to throw into the mix. So if you have, all things being equal, if you have two chazanim that have equally fine voices, now you could decide which to choose based on the extras, on the, uh, on the other things that are so important. They are important, but they're not the main thing. That's not what defines a chazan. What defines a chazan is kaila ariv. The chazan that you hired, that was appointed, 
he's a, a wonderful person if you want a Rosh Hashiva, if you want a Rob, if you want a, you know, somebody, a Paisik, but that's not a Chazan. A Chazan, he's not. A Chazan is basically defined by the voice, by the way he carries himself, by the way, the way that uh, does his voice uh, really go through a person's neshama. Is it uplifting? Is it inspiring? Is it sweet? Is it beautiful? Does he have the songs down? Does he have the avara right? Does he have all of the, you know, the nusach? That's what defines a chazan. And what Reb Chaim is telling us is that there's an ikr and a tafel. And you have to know when you're, whenever you're passing some sort of shaila, you have to know what is the main thing? What is the objective here? And don't lose sight of the objective by the other things that are distracting you. Albeit they're very important. This is the Ramah. We're not, we're not in any way trying to undermine the Ramah. The Ramah is saying that all these things are important, but they're not the Iker. The Iker is the sweetness of the voice. This is what Reb Chaim said. And I wanted to bring a Raya to this. Reb Chaim doesn't need a Raya to what he says. Reb Chaim is Reb Chaim. But I wanted to perhaps say that we find the same Yisaid in the Svarno in this week's parsha, Because fascinatingly, after Yisrael suggests this Eitzah to Meshra Abenu, that you should get a whole judicial hierarchy and make sure you have people that are over, you know, overseeing many people, and then less, fewer people, fewer people, and then, and then ultimately uh, Meshra Abenu is going to be the, the man on top of the totem pole, as it were, to, to decide anything that couldn't be decided by the lower courts. And he says the type of judges you should be looking for. What is it? People of valor, people that are God-fearing, people that are uh, men of truth. They hate money. They don't want, they have no appetite for it. So the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says that you know what, Maishra Rabbeinu, when he actually uh, implemented this plan, it says, Vayivchar Maisha Anshe Chayel. Maishra Rabbeinu chose. Who did he choose? He selected Anshe Chayel. What happened to the other things that Yisrael told him about? So if you look in the Sepharno, he says that, and others say it as well, he wasn't able to get all the other all the things on the list. He wasn't able to find people that he could check every box. So he just chose Anshechayo. He wasn't able to find somebody that's Anshechayo plus Sine Batsa plus Anshe Emes plus Yerelikim. So he, he found people that were Anshechayo. What does Anshechayo mean? So the Sepharna says, so basically he said that he chose Anshechayel over Yerlik. He couldn't get both. So what did he choose? He chose people that were Anshechayel. What are Anshechayel? What does it mean, men of valor? It doesn't mean that they were warriors that they were chayalim, but it means that these were people that were bikim, they were experts, to be mevarer ulalabin amitas davar. When they sat in judgment, they were able to almost like smell out, sniff out who was telling the truth and who wasn't telling the truth. There were two litigants in front of them, and they, in front of the Dayan, and they were able to see 
you know, this guy, I feel the emiss is with this guy. This guy seems to be lying. This guy has the truth. This guy, I, I think, you know, is, is the right one. He, they had, they were bekeim in, in being a dayan, in other words. They knew the halachas of dayanas. They were and they were sharp, they were on the ball, they were on Shechayel. They were able to know who was telling the truth and who wasn't. They were able, in other words, to fulfill the main criteria of a dayan, which is to know how to judge. Aye, but they weren't also Yerlikim. These weren't the frumest of people. They weren't the most God-fearing. God-fearing, you could find other people that were more God-fearing, more people that loved the truth, more people that were Sine Batza. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they chose, over all of those things, they chose Anshechayel, because what were they doing? Like Reb Chaim was talking about a Chazan, here we're talking about appointing a Dayan, and a Dayan, at the end of the day, when you boil it all down, you have to know how to be a Dayan. You have to know how to judge the case in front of you. Having Yerushalayim is a wonderful thing, but that doesn't make you a Dayan. And so I think this sort of like echoes the, the aside of Reb Chaim, the Sefarno, that when you're looking for something, when you're looking to fill a position, you have to always remember what you're trying to accomplish. What is the role? What is the job description? What are we looking for over here? If I'm looking for somebody, let's say, to, uh, you know, to, to work in my computer company, okay, so I want somebody that knows how to, how to write code or how to fix a computer or whatever it may be. Now, if he doesn't know how to do that, but he happens to be a really nice guy, he's going to be a great, great for the team, he's going to be, that's wonderful, but that's not what I need. I need somebody that knows computers, the fact that he's great in sports and that he's great in this and he's a nice family man and he's got a, he's got a great family, that doesn't help me. And you have to understand when you're looking for something specific, you have to look for and remain focused primarily on what the job at hand is. The fact that they have the other things, that's perfect, that's amazing if they have the actual thing that's necessary. But if they don't have the actual thing that you need in the job, then having the extras does not do anything for you. So obviously you have to ignore the tuffel and focus on the ikr. And this is a very, very important Musar Haskell in our life because so many times in life, and we'll discuss a, a few examples, but it's so true in everything, we focus very often on the tuffel and we lose sight of the ikr. There's an ikr in life and there's a tuffel in life. We get so distracted by the things that are tuffel that we forget about the ikr. I had, an, I had a relative and he loved listening to the radio. He loved the radio. And in his apartment, he had a, uh, a shortwave radio and he would listen to channels of, uh, you know, in, in Europe, the radio stations in Europe and radio, this was before the internet that you can get, you know, streamed from anywhere in the world. It was a chiddish. He was able to sit in New York and be able to somehow get on his transistor radio, you know, different radio stations. He loved the radio. He was like obsessed with radio. And it came the day that he needed to buy a car. So he went to a car lot and he, you know, and the guy said, okay, so which car, you know, do you want to, do you want to test drive? He says, I don't know, that looks like a nice car. And he, uh, so he gave him the keys. He didn't even drive out of the lot. He just turned on the ignition and he, the radio, he wanted to make sure the radio was very clear. So the antenna went up 
and the radio was clear as though, as the, he checked the AM station, he checked the, the FM stations, and, and it was good. He says, this is the car for me. I want to buy, how much is it? They handled a little bit, and he bought the car. P.S., he then drove out of the lot, and a couple of miles later, the car broke down. And this is like a legendary story in my family, but it's so, it's so instructive because that's really, it really just illustrates what we're saying. The main thing, if you want to buy a radio, you should actually you know, make sure that the radio works. If you're buying a car, the main point of a car is to get from point A to point B. If it doesn't have that, it could have the most beautiful radio in the world. The radio is a tuffle in the car. It's an icker at home, maybe, but in the car, it's a tuffle. And if you're not test driving the car itself and how it drives, then you have been distracted by the tuffle, and the icker is basically the sacrifice that you made for the tuffle, and, and then you have problems. You don't have a car. You have a nice driving radio, maybe, a mobile radio, but you do not have a car. And you're going for a car. You need to know if the car drives, obviously. It seems posh what I'm saying. But unfortunately in life, it's not always so posh. And I'll give you some examples. I think the best example, or one of the best examples, is shiduchim. Happens very, very often. A person knows pretty much, or should know, before they start dating what they're looking for. I'm talking both about boys and girls. They know what they, they're looking for. They have a list, and maybe they heard it from a rabbi, or maybe from a, from a, from a, a, a mora, and they know they're supposed to be looking for Midas Taivas, that's always number one. You want to make sure that the person has good Midas, that they're nice, and that they're kind, and that they are generous at heart, and that they're happy, and that they're going to make a good wife, and a good mother, or a good husband, a good father, and that they're going to be, uh, th- that's the main thing that you're looking for, and they'll be Kaveh Itim, or they'll learn a lot, or, and their Shabbos table will be Kedusha Vatara. That's basically, that's the main thing that you're supposed to be looking for when you're dating, obviously. What happens? You go out on a date, and all of a sudden the girl, you know, is very attractive, or has a killer personality, and it's like, you know, and you're like mama shtachin each other, and the shtachs are flying, and back and forth, and there's a whole sikhsuch, and it's, it's very geschmack. And all of a sudden, like, all the things that, your whole list of ikrim that you needed, that you, were, that you wanted, and that you expected, you know, you basically throw it in the garbage, you know, and you call the shop, and yeah, I want a second date. And then I want a third date, I want a fourth date, and you end up marrying this person. And, and sometimes, and very often, it's not a good idea. Because such a person, they might be very attractive, but... If they don't have the Midas Taivas, then you're in big trouble. If they're not nice, if they're not happy, if they don't have good, you know, a, a, you know, a, a kindness, a chesed to them, then you got nothing. You just got somebody that's, you know, very pretty or very gishmak, uh, but, but they don't have any good Midas. They're, they're not nice people, and you're going to be married to these people, for this person, for the rest of your life. The Vilna Gain really speaks about this. You know, there's a Pasuk that we're going to sing tonight in Eishas Chayel. Eishas Chayel is the last parak of Mishlei. Shlema Melch wrote Eishas Chayel. It's actually in, in Chazal. There's a Yalkut that says that it really came from Avram Avinu. 
Avram Avinu was the one that composed Eshes Chayel, and this was his hesped for Sari Menu. Sari Menu, when she died, Chaparshas Chayi Sara, Avram Avinu doesn't say in the Torah, it says that Vayavai Avram lispaid Lesarav Kaisa that he eulogized her. It doesn't say in the Torah what he said. But the Yalkut says he actually said Eshes Chayel, beautiful, beautiful uh, poem, Eshes Chayel. The last Pasuk of Eshes Chayel, or the second to last Pasuk of Eshes Chayel, is Sheker Achein, Vehevel HaYayfi, Isha Yiras Hashem Hitishalom. What does that mean? Sheker Achein, that Chein, charm, Kishmak, personality, is, is uh, it's sheker. It's just nothing but a lie. Sometimes you go out with somebody, or a girl, and she's, yeah, gishma, uh, she has chen. There's a charm there. There's something attractive about her personality, but sheker. The hevel ayayfi. And yayfi, beauty, is hevel. It's nothingness. It's something that's so fleeting. It's so, it's so deceptive, beauty. Because what does it mean? It's like, okay, so Hashem gave her beauty, but so what? That doesn't mean anything. What does that do for her? She didn't do that on her own. Hashem made her attractive, but that doesn't do anything for her midas. Isha, yiras Hashem hitasal. A woman who has yirashamayim, she is praiseworthy. She deserves to be praised. This is what Shlomo Melech writes in Mishlei. Frek the gra. The gra asks, I don't understand. Shlomo Melech is telling us that looks are nothing. Hevel it's it's garnished that to have to have to be uh, pretty. I mean, how many psukim throughout Tanakh do we have describing how beautiful Sari Menu was and how beautiful Rachel Menu was and how, how Rivka and, uh, and uh, Yosef was Yifas Tayer, Yifas Mara. And um, there's so many... And, and throughout, Esther was, uh, Chazal tell us, was, was, uh, was uh, one of the most beautiful... Obviously, there's... There's, there's great import that Tanakh seems to be putting in beauty. What do you mean? It's, it's Hevel. No, it's not. If the Torah is telling us that the mice were beautiful, that Esther was beautiful, that, that Cholda, that Abigail, that these were beautiful people, obviously there's something to it. The Torah is not wasting a, a letter, a word, a kutzah shal yud on, on shtosim, on Hevel. What's the answer? And also chen, chen is nothing. It says vati Esther nices chen beinu People have chen. Chen is a is a very valuable commodity. If you don't have chen, then you're not going to get a job. No one's going to hire you if you don't have a little bit of charm. Nobody's going to give you a second date if you don't have a little bit of chen. If you don't have something nice about you, if something charming about you, no one's going to like you. You're not going to get along with people if you don't have that magic dust of of charm. So what does it mean shekar chen yefi? What does that mean? Says the guy, and of course it's valuable. Of course it's valuable. Chain is very valuable. Yaifi is very valuable. It's a commodity that people look, look to with importance, and even the Torah puts importance in it. But Isha Yiras Hashem Hitishalo. It's only important if you have Yerushamayim. If you have Yerushamayim plus you have looks, plus you have Chain, Hitishalo. Then the looks and the chain is, is, is praiseworthy. But if you only have the looks and you only have the charm, but you don't have your then it's nothing. It's worse than nothing. 
because then it's very dangerous. A person with just looks and just charm, that's without your shamayim, it's, uh, it's very alluring, but it's very destructive because if you, because you have to know what the ikr is and what the tuffle is. The ikr is your shamayim. If you have a girl and she has your shamayim and she's from and she's fine and she's nice, plus she has yaifi, plus she has chayim, that's, that's an amazing thing. But if you're just looking for the yaifi and you're just looking chayim and you, and you ignore the yerushamayim, then you have, you've been looking for a car, but you just found the radio. And when you look for the radio and ignore the car, you're gonna have, it's going to break down on you. If you're looking for a shidduch and all, you, and all of a sudden, with the best intentions and going in through it with all of the, the shmuzen and all the books that you've read and what you're supposed to be looking for, it all flies out the window sometimes if you just are focused on the hevel, on the yaifi. Now, you didn't mean to be focused on it. Sometimes it just happens. You get distracted by the hevel and the yaifi, and, and then before you know you say, listen, I'm willing to marry this girl, even though you know, she's far from, she's not the firmest girl, she doesn't have the best midas, and she's not nice to the waitress in the restaurant, and she's not speaking so nicely about her parents and about her siblings, and she's not so nice to me even, but she's got the chain, she's got the yaifi, you know, sign me up. What you're doing basically is you're focusing now on the tafel and you're forgetting the ikr. And when you're looking for that, quote-unquote, the job candidate, which is really what shidduchim is, you're looking for a wife, you have to remember, like Reb Chaim says about the chazan, what you should be looking for, b'ikr, and what the Svarna says about the dayan, you're supposed to look for a chazan, somebody with a great voice, and a dayan, somebody that actually knows how to judge, and don't get sidetracked by the other things if you, they don't have that main thing. And by shidduchim, if you're focused on the tafel, and you're forgetting about the ikr, you're going to be in big trouble. And it goes for girls also. Girls also, sometimes they go out with a guy, and they want a guy that's really from and, and, and learns and, uh, and is a good boy and uh, has midasayas. And in fact, they, you know, they really committed themselves to that. And all of a sudden, they go out with somebody, they just like the guy. He's you know, nice looking, and he, he seems like you know, you know, he's not the, the best midas, not the be- biggest yarashamayim, but you know, he's a cool guy, and he has this and he has that, so let's do it. And this happens all the time, and it's not a good idea. It's not a good idea for a girl, and it's not a good idea for a boy. And it's hard sometimes, because sometimes, you know, it's not going so well in Shidduchim, and, you know, you're not, that girl that you're looking for isn't so readily available, apparently, and you're going out with a lot of people. So, all right, I have to settle. So I'm going to settle for what? I'm going to settle to the side of the Tafel, and not to the side of the Iker, and that's always a, a horrible thing. When you're forgetting about what the ikr is and you're just jumping now to the tafel, that's not a good thing. We find a similar idea by Bnei God and Bnei Reuven, not Bnei Shiduchim, but Bnei uh, priorities in, in Parnassa, priorities in child rearing. At the end, in, in Parshas Matais, so we know the story that Meshra Abeno. Um, is about to, he's telling Klai Yisrael about what they have to do in terms of going into Eretz Yisrael, and they have to conquer the land against the seven mighty kings, the seven mighty nations. And, and then after they conquer the land, and they fight the good fight, then they're going to divide up the land, and then they're going to, and every Shevet's going to have their, their, their respective parcel of land. So B'nai God and B'nai Reuven 
they come to Meish Rabbeinu and they say to Meish Rabbeinu, um, we, you know, we hear everything that you said, but we'd really like to stay here in Eivra Yarden, in Transjordan. We don't really want to divide up Eretz Yisrael. We'd rather stay in this land. There's a lot of real estate over here, a lot of beautiful pasture land, and a lot of place for our families. We want to stay here. We want to build pens for our cattle. The Aram Latapenu and cities for our kids. And of course, Meish Rabbeinu got very upset at them and said, what do you expect? That your, your brothers should go out to battle? You're going to avoid the battle? Are you crazy? You're going to just like sit here and while your brothers are going to battle, out, battle it out for Israel? You're going to be cowardly and stay? They said, no, no, no. We, we plan on coming and we're going to fight the good fight along with our brothers. And then after the fight is over, we conquer Israel and then... We want to come back here and inhabit this land, this in, in outside of Eretz Yisrael. Meish Rabbeinu approves, but he says to them, Build for yourselves cities, for your, if, meaning after you do this and you battle with the rest of Klai Yisrael, and then you'll come back, you're going to come back and then build what? Cities for your kids and pens for your Sheep, whatever you said, whatever you just committed to, to fight it, fight it out with us, you have to do. Notice that Meshur Rabbeinu switches around the order that they suggest. They said, we want to build, we want to stay here and we want to build pens for our cattle, meaning they're focused on their sheep primarily, and then we want to build Aram Latapena, plus our, our children could, could use you know, a good place to live. They have playgrounds over here and they could, you know, have nice houses here. Meish Rabbeinu brilliantly and cleverly switches it around. He says, fine, when you do it, first you build the houses for your kids, focus first on your kids, and then you're going to build pens for your cattle. And Rashi says that Meish Rabbeinu was sort of giving them the old Musr and said, you made the Iker, the Tuffle, and the Tuffle, the Iker. You prioritized your animals over your children? No, no, no. You have to prioritize your children over your animals. Remember to make them ikr the ikr. The ikr is your children, your family. And then the tuffle is the money, the sheep, the property. The question is, Klai Yisrael didn't, didn't know this. This is the Dardea. This was the greatest generation ever. Well, you think that they didn't know that their kids come before Come first. Meshur Ben had to remind them of this. So Reb Henoch Libowitz, the Rashiva of Chavetz Chaim, Zechisadik Levracha, he says the following aside. He says that of course they knew that their children were the main thing. But what happens is in life that we start out with the best of intentions when we make Parnassa. Say a person is a businessman. Why is he going into business? When he starts off in business, when he starts off to be a lawyer, a doctor, uh, whatever it is that you're going for, a dentist, you're starting off because you want to support your family. You have the best of intentions. You want to, your priority is going to be your family. Your priority is going to be learning. How many people, they say, why did I choose to go into dentistry? Because dentistry allows me to, uh, you know, to have a lot of time that I can make my own schedule once I have my own practice, be able to work half a day, and learn half a day, I'll be able to spend time with my kids. And then, very often what happens is, 
that, and it happens to many people, with the best of the, the nicest people find with the best of intentions. And this is true for medicine, it's true for, for, for all time, I'm not picking on dentists. Mashkichim, everybody, it, it's true for everybody. We have our goals in life, and then what happens is, somehow, way along the lines, we forget about those original plans, and we get totally obsessed with, with our parnasa. So we wanted to make a living, you know, enough just to support our families and live normal and, and learn. But then we said, no, you know, why should I, I should learn half a day? H- how much, mo- every hour I'm losing out, you know, billable hours, whether I'm a lawyer making X number of hundred dollars an hour or a dentist or a surgeon or whatever, I- I'm supposed to learn? Is my learning that chashev that I should give up, you know, uh, a few thousand dollars a day for it? No way. And, and I should come home for supper. Why should I come home for supper? I, should, I have to work more and harder. I have to come back at 10 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at 2 o'clock in the morning. It started off with the best of intentions, but what happens is we forget the ikker. The ikker was our family supporting them, making sure that you know, we have time to spend with them at nights and on, on Sundays and, and, and then in the end, and to learn, and all of that very often goes out the window because we start getting obsessed and focused on the tuffel. And Rebbenach says that was, the, that was the fatal flaw of Bnei Gad and Bnei Rubin. Of course they knew that the main thing was the children. They weren't people that prioritize. But what happens is that over the course of time, you start forgetting that, and you start focusing on the Gidras Tzayn, on the corral, on the pen, on the, on the amount of sheep that you have, and you start forgetting about the main thing about your children. And so this is something that we have to remember as well. When we start heading out to make a parnasa, we have to constantly remind ourselves, maybe write it down for ourselves as we start. Like, what is our mission statement for life? Like, what are we doing? Why are we going for this career? Why did we choose that? Because we want to ultimately be able to have time to learn, have time for our children, have time for our families, be normal, functional people, and not get all consumed by, by the money. But very often, if we don't remember this, then the tuffel becomes the ikr, the ikr becomes the tuffel, and you need Meish Rabbeinu to remind you, or the Rabbanim, or your Rebbe, to constantly remind you, or your wife maybe, that this isn't what you got, this isn't what you got into, this is not what your original intention was. The original intention was that you want to first benulachem arm lutapchem. First, you want to prioritize your children, and then you want to prioritize parnasa. Parnasa is not a small thing. Parnasa is a main thing. It's a major thing, but it's not the main thing. It's not the main. The main thing of your life is not supposed to be just chasing after the dollar and being the richest man in the cemetery. The main thing is to have parnasa, but for your parnasa to be a hechetimsa to live a good life and to spend the right time allocated for your families, for your communities, for your davening, for your learning, but not to just eventually forget all that and, and just focus primarily on, on the money. There's a great vart from the Panovich Rav. The Panovich Rav was a Kayin, and uh, he was a, an amazing orator, they say, a brilliant speaker. And because he was a Kayin, he was very often asked to be the Kayin by a pigeon aben. I don't know if anyone here has been to a pigeon aben. I think I was 30 
maybe older by the time that I ever got to see a pigeon Aben because it's, it's relatively a rare thing. You need a lot of stars to align correctly in the constellation in order to be able to have a pigeon Aben. I think today, for some, maybe there's just a lot more kids being born, so you hear a lot more pigeon Abens going around, but it was very rare. Like, you know, I think in my whole life, maybe I've been to like four or five pigeon Abens, maybe. Um, and it's hard to be, to, to, because it means that both grandparents can't be Kaihanim or can't be Levium. It has to be that the baby was born in a natural birth and not a, you know, not a C-section. Um, you know, it, it has to be, there can't be a miscarriage before, and it has to be the Petarechem, the first baby that comes out of the mother. So basically, there, it takes a lot of things to go right, to have a, to, or to, to line up, to be able to have... Anyway, when you're at a Pijna Ben, and, and you'd be excused to not notice this, because I don't know how many of you have been to a Pijna Ben, if you have been, if you've actually noticed what was being said, but there is a ceremony uh, during the Pijna Ben that the Kayane faces the father... And uh, there's a baby present, the baby that's 31 days old. And the Kayin asks a very strange question to the father uh, of the baby. My boys tfei, what do you prefer? Would you rather have um, the baby or would you rather have the five silver coins? And you need five silver coins, um, five silver dollars or the equivalent uh, in order to be paid to your son, there's a that that's required. So, and of course, the father is reading from his from his uh, you know, his formula answer. I want to have my son. I want to be paid on this day. And, and then the, the kain they make a there's a bracha that's made, and then uh, the kain blesses the baby, etc. Beautiful ceremony. So the Panovich Rav would speak by pigeon. He says, "What in the world is going on here? Is this some like strange?" Isn't this the strangest like ritual that you've ever seen? Is there ever has there ever you have to ask the father my boy's fay? Is there a father in history that uh, you know would prefer uh, to have the money over over the child? I actually saw recently there was a story in the news. I don't know if you saw it, but like I think there was parents that were I don't know they they were by El Al in Eretz Israel and they were flying somewhere. And uh, they they were told that they have that the baby or their child that they were that they were you know that they wanted to bring with them to wherever they were flying to uh, there was a fee of a few hundred dollars for for that child's ticket they didn't know they thought that it was free it turned out they have to buy a seat for him or whatever and they basically said okay forget the child we're just going to fly and they they basically just left the baby in the airport and they, they got on the, uh, you could check it up I, I, I didn't read the whole article but that was at least what the headline seemed to indicate that they, they left the baby so um, all it happens I guess that a parent would actually prefer to have the five pieces of silver in his pocket than the baby but that's very rare obviously the guy, these people are probably not you know mentally stable but what does that mean my boys say who, what, what kind of question I mean if you have a question, there's obviously a, a havamina both ways, right? It's not just wasting the Kayin's time. So the Panevich Rav says a beautiful pshat. He says, he says, it's a lesson to the father. The Kayin is giving Musa to the father that you have to start now when the baby is young to make a decision of what your priorities are with this child. My boys say, what are you going to want for this baby? Are, do you, are you going to want to raise this baby like, uh, and, and give him time 
and nourishment and love and, and attention and help him with the homework and help him with the leaning and help him with, you know, with everything else and giving him advice and really bringing up a healthy child? Or are you going to prefer the money? You're going to prefer staying all night at work and, and you know, day and night with your, you bring your work home and you're always obsessed with your work and thinking and get depressed and, you know, and, and constantly, you know, distracted by the, the tuffle in life. My boy's Faye, make a decision now. What do you want? Do you want the baby or do you want the money? It's a real question because very often we choose the money over the baby. Not the money at the pigeon I've been, but more... You know, broadly, we choose to run after money, parnasa, career, at the cost of this baby. I know people that, you know, I once had a professor in, uh, in college in, in Turo Flapush, and he was a brilliant lawyer. He went to, you know, Columbia Law School, and he worked for the city. He worked for the city. He had like a nine-to-five job working for the city. He was probably you know, making a, a, maybe a, a miser of what he could have made had he gone to one of these fancy white shoe law firms, as they call it, like the Spitz law firms. They, you know, you have to work there, you know, 18 hours a day, but you're going to make, you know, a crazy amount of money if you make partner. So I once asked him, I said, you know, you're, you're, you went to Columbia Law School. It's an Ivy League law school. You're a very brilliant man. I said, like, why did you choose to work for the city? Like, you're making, like, you know... Whatever you're making, it's, it's bupkis compared to what you could be making in, you know, as a lawyer, as a Spitz lawyer. He says, I made a decision in my life that I don't want to spend day and night working in a law firm. He says, I love law, and that's why I chose it. I'm very good at it. I got a job for the city. That job is going to enable me to be mafarnis to my family, not baravchas, but but at least to put food on the table and to buy a house and to pay the mortgage and to pay the bills and get through life. But I'm going to be able to be home for my family. I'm going to be able to have starim in the base medish, a night seder, a, a, a morning seder, a, a whatever, a pre-shachar seder. And he didn't forget that. He did it. I, I've seen, I, I saw him many times because uh, I lived in Flatbush where he lived and I've seen, he used to learn with his children his children are big tummy to come he put time into them and and kaychus and kishrinus and later on when he needed I guess his, his children were getting old and the expenses were getting greater he started working also in Turo Flatbush at night and he gave a business law class you know but because he at that point he needed more money okay but he kept true to that calling that was his calling and that's what and he didn't forget it and he became a Talmud Chacham, and his family was B'nai Tairan, because he was able to answer this question, my boy is what do you prefer? You prefer your kid or you prefer money? But when we forget about what the Iker is, and we start focusing on the Tafel, which is the money, and the Iker was supposed to be the, the children, we confuse them, and now the Iker is money, and, our, and the Tafel is the children, it's a big problem. It's a very big problem. And the truth is that this is really the story of our lives, even now, before we have children, before we're in Shidochem, it's the story of our life. The Chavitz Chaim used to say that a mushal of what our life is, is a person who goes to a Yerid. A Yerid is like a, a, the marketplace. In the olden days, um, there would be like a big marketplace in like a big city, and it would last for maybe two days. It was like a big... Uh, convention. Everybody brought their goods there. So you had people that brought 
their cattle there and people that brought their sheets there and people that brought their, I don't know, perfumes there. And, and you, had a, you had two days to wheel and deal, to go and travel to the Sirid, bring cash in hand and buy a lot of merchandise and then bring it back to your store, bring it back to your, your push cart, whatever it was that you were doing. And that's what you made Parnassah from for the next half a year until the next sale. So this person says, okay, I'm going now to the Sirid. I had to borrow money. I'm not a rich man. I had to borrow money to, to pay for the merchandise and to spend money on transportation to get to the Urid. And when I'm at the Urid, I have to stay in an inn. And all this costs money. When I get to the Urid, I have to be totally focused on the Iker, which is to buy the best quality for the least amount of money and to be able to bring it home and to be able to provide parents for my family. Okay, I'm going to do that. And then he gets to the inn. He's checking in and he's, uh, you know... Uh, about to go out to the first day of the sale, and all of a sudden, he, you know, he's sitting at, at breakfast, and, all, and, and he bumps into a friend of his that he hasn't seen since childhood. He says, Yanko, I, I haven't seen you in, in 30 years. Oh my gosh, Chaim, is that you? Unbelievable. And they hug and they kiss, and then they start going to the lobby of the inn, and they're schmoozing, and they're catching up on old times and reminding themselves of you know, the teachers that they liked, the teachers that they didn't like, and the food fights that they had in the cafeteria, and, uh, and who they married, and who their kids... And all of a sudden, you know, Chaim, our hero, you know, looks at his watch says, Oh my gosh, it's, it's Shkia. Where did the time go? He says, I missed the whole Yerid. He says, all right, tomorrow morning I'm going to start a fresh start again. And then, like, and then again, Yanko bumps into him and they start schmoozing. And before you know it, another day goes by and the whole Yerid, now he, he wasted all of that time, that precious time that he needed, those two days that he needed for Parnosla was out the window. And he was busy with his friend who, who cares about this Yanko. What difference? Chaim, whatever. It doesn't, doesn't matter. That's not what I came after. I, I lost focus. And the Chavetz Chaim is to say, that's us in this world. We have a job to do. Our job is that in the small amount of time that we're on planet Earth, the 70 years, if we're lucky, or, or more, hopefully, sometimes less, we have to be able to do what our mission is. What's our mission? To learn and to daven, to get close to Hashem, to have good midas, get married, have a family, make sure to be a mensch, make a kiddush Hashem, whatever, do the mitzvahs, everything that we're supposed to do. What happens? We come to planet Earth and we try to remember the Iker, but we forget about the Iker. We start all of a sudden getting distracted. And we get distracted by, by video games, which we could spend whole nights on. We get distracted by movies, by Instagram, by Facebook, by, uh, by uh, whatever, all the things, let me name, all these technologies, distractions. And then we get distracted by jealousies. And we're, we say, oh, he just got a Tesla. I need a Tesla. You know, he just built an extension. I need an extension to my house. He just uh, went on a trip to Eretz Israel with his whole family for a sukkah. He went to a Pesach program here on Pesach. And I need that. And so you get completely sidetracked. You forget about what the Iker is. And you start getting into all the tuffle. And before you know it, the time is up. And you're now 70, 80, 90 years old. You look back in your life and say, oh my gosh, what happened? It's Shkia already. What happened to all, to all the time? 
I was supposed to be a Tamar Chacham in this life. I was supposed to finish Shas a couple of times. I was supposed to write Svarim in this lifetime. I was supposed to have a family and, and raise Kishmaka kids and, and grandkids and be able to imagine them appropriately and be able to be there for them. And I blew it. I got so into my money. I got so into my cars. I got so into my Pesach programs. I got so into, into the shaitals and into the, the suits and into the, the, the food and into the restaurants. And, and I, I forgot all about the Iker in my life. And the charata that we'll have then is going to be so great because we'll look back and we'll say like that guy that blew it after two days he had to be Matharnas's family from the Arid and he forgot all about the Iker and he got distracted with the Tafel. And when you're young, at your age in life, okay, I'm telling you something for life now, okay, don't make the mistake that 99% of people make. And that is they get, they get distracted by what the ichor is and what the tuffle is. The tuffle is important also. Don't walk away and say, okay. So I think the lesson that we're saying is forget the tuffle and just focus on the ichor. Obviously, that's not what I'm saying. You need the tuffle. The tuffle, you need to mimifinance your family. And you need to find a, you know, a, a, a spouse that's not just Yerushalayim, but has, you know, that, that you're attracted to, you're interested in, and that you have a good relationship, healthy relationship with. And you need to, you know, spend time sometimes away from home and you have to take business trips and you have to, you can't be with your children constantly. You can't be home for supper every night. The tuffle is sometimes also important, but it's not the ichor. And if you're just focused and consumed by the tuffle at the expense of the ichor, then you will have the greatest charata when you're my age and when you're older and when you're your parents' age, grandparents' age. Look back on life and say, if you have a brain in your head, you'll say, what did I do? I blew it. And once when, we'll end with this, I know it's late. I once went on a seed program in California uh, when I was a bacher, and we had a great time, and I gave a lot of shiurim there and, um, to old people, to young people, together in like shuls. And there was one you know, old person, an old man, and he was very wealthy, and he came to a lot of the shirim that I was personally giving. And then at the last day before we left, we were there for a few weeks, at so the last day they made a big goodbye party for us, for a group of me and my friends. And after the goodbye party was sort of finishing, was wrapping up, this old man says, can I speak to you in the corner? And I said, sure. So we went into a corner and he was crying to us. A very wealthy man, extremely wealthy beautiful mansion, cars, everything. And he's crying to me. He says, he says, you gave such beautiful shiurim and you inspired me. He says, I have so much money. He says, I need you to do something for me. Tell me how I could be young again. How could I buy my youth back? I want to be your age again. I want to go back. I want to do it all over again. And I had nothing to say. Obviously, I had no words. I wouldn't have words today to tell him, but I certainly didn't have words when I was uh, you know, 21 years old. And that's a tragedy when a person lives a whole life, and a, a successful life, but he realizes later in life that you can't make up for lost time and that you forget sometimes about the Iker and you focus on the Tafel. You're young, and you have the ability now to really re- focus like a laser on what you really want in life. What's the ichor in your life? What do you want? And then you're going to customize the career 
and not just what career, but within the career, how am I going to be able to maximize my time so I have time to learn every day, I have time to daven like a mensch, I have time to spend with my family and my community and come to shul every day and minyanim. And you have to be able to prioritize that at the expense of the, a lot of the tuffle. You'll have to sacrifice tuffle. There will be sacrifice. A lot of money will be at stake sometimes to get to the ikr. And a lot of uh, prestige and a lot of making partner and a lot of all these things that are, that are you know, very nice in life. But you have to be able to maintain and to remind yourself about what my ikr is. What's the chazan's role? What's the dayan's role? What's the car's role? What's the wife's role? What's the husband's role? What's the father's role? What's my role as a human being in life? Why did Hashem put me here? And if you remind yourself of the ikr, and you basically continue to focus on that ikr, and you get through life like that, as many people are able to do successfully, then you will be from mamish the miyuta de miyuta that make it through life successfully. Not just, I'm not talking about financial success, but successfully in the eyes of the Rabbi Nishalim. And that should be the main focus, I think, that the takeaway from today's shmuz is to always make sure to keep focused on the ikr, and push away the tuffle, not in Gansan, not totally, but put, make the ikr the number one priority by far, and the tuffle, which is also important, but make sure not to make that the center stage, the focus of your life. And then, Amir Hashem, we'll all be matzliach. Have a beautiful Shabbos, Rabbi Yisrael.